Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 141. This interview is with Joyce Sullivan, founder and CEO of Sock Media Fin, a social media consultancy that provides leadership training for financial services, regulated industries, and nonprofit organizations. Joyce is also an adjunct professor of social media and communications at Baruch College in New York in the School of Public Affairs. An award winner and speaker at numerous industry events and conferences, Joyce joined me to talk in this podcast about the challenges facing the financial services industry in onboarding social media, what role the CEO and C-suite should be playing, and some best practices that Joyce has observed. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset, that's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T dot com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick. Enjoy the show. So, Joyce Sullivan, thanks for coming on the show. We met on the front row down in South by Southwest, and I was immediately interested in the, the fact that you have uh, you've got a great experience, and you're working in social media, and you have a particular pension on Facebook. <coughs> finance and banks. So tell us who you are, what you do, and what's your mindset? Well, thank you, Minter. And I always say you never know who you're going to meet in the front row. And here we are because we both were sitting in the front row at a great talk at South by Southwest. So uh, delighted to be here. So what's my mindset? I'm all about connecting with the world around you. And whether you're in a regulated industry or a regular brand or whatever it might be, everybody around you has something important to say and I'm enormously interested in hearing what that is. And so I help my audience reach the people they want to reach. All right, so Joyce, you uh, you work uh, specific, I mean, your history, you, you worked a lot with, in the banking sector. And, and what's interesting about the banking sector is that they sort of feel like that they're a world apart. You know, they move the world, they have regulations. And then the social media thing is, is sort of, for many, anathema in the banking world. So tell us what you do and how you accompany your clients in, uh, in what you do. All right. So for me, I, uh, as some of you may know, I've been in banking over 20 years and worked at a number of firms, Citibank, JP Morgan, Credit Suisse, and uh, worked on very large enterprise-level projects. I started to see what was going on in the outside world, which is the world is beginning to speak to each other with a smartphone in their hand. We all remember the days of, I knew the first rule, if a reporter called me, the answer was call our PR department. Indeed. And that was pretty simple because we all did not have the means to talk to the world. Well, especially a journalist who, you know, is going to try and go in there and dig into you and has different techniques to unearth uh, confidential information. No, absolutely. In fact, I can remember walking out of uh, one of the banks I worked at, and they said, be careful when you go out for lunch because we know certain reporters will stand outside and try to hijack you to say something, especially, you know, if there had been a big announcement or change in the CEO or a layoff. Um, so we were always on our guard and be careful who you speak to. On the now, record. anybody can speak to anybody at any time, anywhere. And you've got a more powerful device in your hand than what's sitting on your desktop at work. All right, so when you're working with banks and you're, and you're trying to help them get connected, listen to their customers, and use social media, give us some of the ways that you, you try to approach this question for them. 
Well, one of the first things I'll do, so uh, let me back up a little bit. Um, as you mentioned, I, I work with banks, so I uh, have my own firm working uh, specifically social media strategy for regulated industries and, and banks is really top of that. So what I'll typically do, people will call me, they'll either you know hear me at an event or we'll meet for some other uh, networking. And one of the very first things they'll ask me is, well, do you think we should have a Facebook page or a LinkedIn or a Twitter? And I always say, let's let's stop a minute and first talk about who you are. I have five questions I always start with. Who are you? What do you have to say? Who are you trying to reach? And then number four is how do they want to be reached? So number one is your brand. Obviously, we all think we know what our brand is, but remind yourself. And then two, remind yourself of what it is you think you want to say at that moment in time and who you want to reach. Because so many, I see so many firms will go with with a tool. Uh, for instance, um, you know, give a shout out to Citibank. I remember when they started their Twitter to be able to reach customers. So that they had figured out, wait a minute, we have people complaining. Why don't we give them a great way to connect? Um, that was all started with, you may have remembered Frank Eliason, who's now Citibank, a great advocate. Um, when he was at Comcast. Yeah. Exactly. And so, you know what, if people are going to complain or they have something to say, why don't we have a forum where they can speak to us directly? And so that's a great example of they kind of knew who their audience was and how the audience wanted to be reached. And they went and set up that Twitter platform. Uh, so when firms come to me, I will usually start with, okay, let's go over kind of strategically, you know, who are you? What do you have to say? Who you're trying to reach? And once we've got that pretty clear, then... We will come back with say, all right, so let's speak about what the different platforms or ways that your audience is already there and you go there. Um, related but similar example, I was at an event with the Wall Street Journal. They have a great digital platform. They wanted to increase some of their readership in middle America, maybe reaching more kind of soccer moms. Uh, they ran an article on, you know, uh, the tiger mom approach. They did some research and realized a lot of that demographic has a Pinterest page or they're on Pinterest. So why would the Wall Street Journal start a Pinterest page? Mm. They did their research and they knew for what they wanted to say, who they wanted to reach, that audience was on Pinterest. So um, know who your audience is first and then figure out where to go and mm. don't start with the tool first. Um, so that's one of the conversations. I uh, the, the conversations tend to start with what platform right. and not they want to reach so when joyce uh, you know when we think of banking of course is the uh, and people in banking tend to put up all their guards about oh we can't do that and fear of screwing up and and confidential information discretion about customer data how does the the world of banking differ from other companies when you're approaching social media i mean what you're saying there about Wall Street Journal is, you know, of course, they're not a banking company, but they're a media company, so they're going out after a specific target. But it, I mean, it's basically what any brand should be doing. So I was just thinking about what, how would you graph the opportunities for banking in social media, maybe differently anyway, from other companies, other sectors? Okay. Well, one of the first places I'd start, even before the five questions, we'd get through that. In uh, now speaking on U.S banking regulations. Uh, it's been five years since FINRA, which is the regulatory body for most of the banks belong to. Uh, now that's an independent body, but all the banks belong to it. Um, and the SEC is, is government. But FINRA 
in 2010 came out with, for anybody who's in the social media and banking space knows as FINRA 10-06. And what that is, is it's six pages. It's a question and answer of how do we use social media and banking? And that became the foundation from which a lot of these social programs started. Up until then, everybody was waiting for somebody to tell them what to do. And when I would speak with bankers, they would tell me, well, I'm waiting for somebody else to start to see who gets fined first. I mean, that's not a very positive approach. But with the FINRA guidance that came out in 2010, there are six major tenets that they focused on. And what they did was they reiterated from the 1930s, which is when you have a written record, a communication on social media on any type of electronic is a written communication. And so the same regulations or rules apply, which means you have a written record, you have to record keep it. The days of nobody wants to go to court, but if you do, here's my folder, here's your folder. So if you're having a Facebook like, a tweet, a LinkedIn status update, that's a written record. You have to have a way to record keep and save all of those. So that's one. The other is there's certain disclosures that you would have to say if you were going to use social and they tell you what those are, how to go about that. Um, Advertising a post, for instance, my LinkedIn profile is considered static advertising because it says who I am, what I do. It doesn't tend to change often. Hmm. So that would need to be pre-approved. So before somebody could have a LinkedIn profile or a Twitter profile or a bank is setting up their Uh, Twitter page or Facebook, you would need to have your legal compliance go through and say, yes, in fact, this is an ad of sorts. It's saying who you are and you have to get that pre-approved. And so you follow that, you're fine. Um, The other is supervision. There's a certain level of knowing that there's somebody moderating or looking at posts. So some folks might say, well, Twitter or Facebook or LinkedIn, that's supposed to be about in the moment, right? It's supposed mm. to be real and interactive. Mm. And for certain things, it can be, but you have to show there's a certain level of training and supervision to different posts, especially when you're a registered representative, say a financial advisor. On one hand, it sounds really onerous, but I just spoke to a group earlier this week. In fact, I said, if you know those rules, You have a competitive advantage in working with banks, in reaching an audience, or even as a bank to help, say, whether it's your sales folks, your financial advisors, reach an audience that is used to being spoken to on social. Mm. So make it, and I can send you, um, Minter, after this, um, you know, some of the actual presentations or or a a page or two Mm -hmm. with what are the five or six main things. Great. Um, I find sometimes I have folks from advertising agencies or PR agencies will sign up for my uh, events because they're trying to figure out the banks used to love all my, my things. Now they don't. Why is that? And uh, they don't know the rules. Right. But, and that's probably also true for agencies in general with regard to consumer brands, because they aren't selling their 30 second spots anymore like they used to. So I wanted to circle back, Um, you know, this notion of, having your financial, your employees of a financial institution being representing themselves individually online. So we have beautiful examples uh, of other companies and other industries, Coca-Cola, 
or Comcast, having individuals who are out there on a regular basis representing the company and the training that goes behind it, it's it sounds like a, a really a long stride for banks to allow for that. I mean, I worked at DLJ. I remember those days. You had your your brokers talking to their you know one on one with their clients, their investors, telephone, da 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 da. But speaking uh, like on Twitter, that seems like a long path from the people I used to know. So, give us examples of companies or any examples you have of people who are managing that process in a good way. Okay. Um, so that's a great question because when you think of Twitter, you think, oh, my Lord, 100,000 employees are going to be on their same right. forever. Um, not the case. So before you go down any of those paths, one of the other things I'll first cover with folks that I work with you know, in the leadership team of these banks are, what do you have a social media policy? I'm like, well, what do you mean? He says, well, what do you have for your employees or your staff on kind of rules of engagement? And you all usually have codes of conduct or things you must do, but do you have something very specifically that addresses that? And I'll then tell them, and the answer is we don't let them. The policy is no, because that's how many of them started. It's like, mm. you just will not do this. <laughs> the policy is no. The policy is no, and if that sounds funny, but in fact, that is the way it's been for many years right. until the banks started to realize this is not just keeping your employees from speaking. You are now competitively disadvantaged because other institutions have figured out, wait a minute, if we understand these, the FINRA or the SEC guidance, it says we can do this, but we have to moderate, we have to record keep. Um, yeah, we're going to need some software to capture that. And if we do not, we're going to be left behind. And so the really ones who are astute will get together like you do in any bank or any large institution. You put together a working group. You come up with a plan. You keep it small. I'm very big on pilot programs. And you test it out and kick the tires. And then you can show what are the benefits of doing it, what uh, do we want to launch it in our wealth management group? Maybe that's the place to start. Or maybe in the private banking. You know, you may have a very specific group and you just don't want to open the floodgates to everybody. So uh, come up with a plan, find a target group internally, know the rules, and then um, and start to test it out and see what's going to resonate. Well, you mentioned private banking and wealth. So in my mind, I'm thinking uh, multimillionaire and you're, you're going to try and contact me on social media, break that down for me. How is a private banker and or a wealth manager going to use social media astutely? Okay. Well, I, that's great because I've actually had this conversation with wealth managers um, who have told me, Joyce, I have a great book of business. I don't need to be on social. It's only, only going to be problems. I got upset. And I'll say to them, all right, so – Let's talk about um, legacy. Your your clients today aren't on social, but when that wealth changes hands, and we all want to live to be forever, forever young and old, do you even know who the beneficiaries are on, on those? Uh, no. Or, well, I have their names. Have you begin to form relationships? Well, what do you mean? The next generation, and maybe it's not your current client. But the people they know and trust with their wealth, this is how they speak to the world. 
Email is considered old-fashioned. No kidding. This generation wants to, or that next generation wants to be able to send you a private Facebook post, or do you even know how they want to be reached? There's so many different ways. So let's start. And I, I did this program last year with someone. I said, get a summer intern, go through all your clients, see who the beneficiaries are, and don't go and send them all LinkedIn invites, but at least find out where they are and, and have someone do a search and say, are they even on LinkedIn? I mean, that's a great, that's where I usually recommend people begin because it's professional. Start to build those relationships today because you can talk to anybody in the wealth management space. If you do not build those relationships, typically the next generation of wealth owners, they don't want to come to your office. They don't want to get in their car and sit in front of you. They want to talk to you on Skype. They want to talk to you online. And um, to what extent do you find that we've got a lot of Mark Zuckerberg, uh, you know, you know, young entrepreneurs? Has that really changed so much that the wealth is in the hands of 28-year-olds? Oh, you know, I think there's a great advertising campaign for Facebook, and they do a good job out there. There is still so much wealth in the hands of many people who are very quiet, who are not on Facebook, who are not on LinkedIn. I mean, those are the things we know about. But if you speak with wealth managers who have very successful practices, they have a book of business that they don't need to be advertising themselves. My concern strategically is that they're aligned with the next generation now, if they're going to sell their business or they're going to retire, and it doesn't matter, but even for their partners that are staying on, how do you help build your own legacy as a great owner of a, of a franchise that you put together for that next generation? I have the same conversation with senior leaders in more traditional institutions. I was speaking with a social media manager recently who was hired by the CEO, a small regional bank, and... Um, he very much wanted this. And I said, he understands he's building legacy. He wants his institution to thrive in the next generation or two. And you're not going to do that by just being a brick and mortar. Mm. So Joyce, you mentioned um, leadership. And one of my dada, as I say in French, is, uh, is, is looking at how leaders are inspiring and modeling the behavior they want to see happen in their organization. And, oh, no, I don't have time for this, as Charlene uh, so rightly pointed out. Oh, no, no, that, you know, gosh, uh, that's a thing for the kids. And, and yet, as you and I know, and we spoke beforehand, you know, they need to do that. So tell us what your approach is to getting a CEO uh, to get on with the program. So thanks for that question, those are the most interesting conversations I have uh, because I've been in the industry for over 20 years. And on top of that, you were in England. What's that? And on top of that, you were even in England. Yes, I was in England. I was back and forth in England for 15 years Chase, working for uh, JP Morgan. Yeah. JP Morgan. Um, and the conversations I have, in fact, there's, there's one I'm working on right now, is with the most senior leaders and organization. And there's a reason that you close the doors because nobody wants anyone else to know that they don't know. 
And we're in a world where information travels so fast, everything changes so fast. How do you even keep up? When you're leading a large organization, you are responsible for clearly the organization, but you know the lives and livelihoods of your staff. And how are you going to make the next right decision about making sure your organization thrives? So this is a very, let's say delicate, it's a very necessary conversation. And I think the enlightened leaders who know they want to continue to survive and thrive for many generations to come, this is a space they need to be. And so at least I I respect and I'm honored to be included in those very early conversations as somebody who has lived through banking, through what I call the second wave or very much the industrial age into the information age. And everybody I think realizes now they need to make that shift and um, being part of that and helping guide them to help them make those decisions is really an honor. So I don't know if that really answers the question, well, but um, it's having there. somebody trust you with the most important stuff they're dealing with every day. Yeah. And so, right. So, and then I guess it's a little bit tactical, but let's say, you know, I'm the CEO of, of a large bank and I, you know, I know about LinkedIn. I, I know, I know all about these things. I hear about them. I read about them, but no, 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 they're not for me. Where would you start with? Uh, you know, let's say, uh, where should I be on LinkedIn? Should I be on Twitter? Where should I, how should I, what should I be doing? Okay. So the first, one of the first places I would start with is, all right, let's start with what matters. Let's take a look at whatever's your public P&L, right? So sales, where are your sales getting generated from? What segments of your business? Wealth management, private management, trading, institutional investment, securities processing. Where is that? Map that out. That's very clear. They know what they've got. Now, Salesforce, I mean, your individual, whether it's sales or franchise, where's that? Now, who are they speaking to? What is the audience that is helping to drive those sales? Mm -hmm. So I bring it right back to, at the end of the day, not, it's going to cost me X time and money. <clears throat> Let's focus on where your revenue is coming from and what are you projecting mm -hmm. for the future? And do you see that shifting or have you thought about is that shifting? Mm. So we start there. The other place I'll go, especially if somebody brings me in who's not at, say, the C-level, but somebody who's an influencer to the C-level, I'll start with, let's not make this, don't make it a compliance play or an expense save. You make it a revenue generator. And so if you know you're losing out on opportunities because you're not in this space, that is going to help us get funding mm. to do these programs because mm. there's always middleware software for collecting tweets or modifying and all mm -hmm. kinds of stuff. So saying you need to be there because everybody is, or you can speak, I thought, yes, that's one way to do it. I would much rather go about it from where speak, you know, speak to people in the language they understand, right. which is, here's how I drive my sales. I say, mm. Let's make sure that's going to continue. If not, how do we make that adjustment and maybe pick a group to pilot it in? Oh, beautiful. I love that. All right. So you mentioned middleware just now. And, and the, the thought that's running through my head is uh, my daughter uh, who likes to connect with me on Snapchat. So, you know, this is the next generation. Yeah, they don't like email. Many of them are sort of swearing off of Facebook. 
and, and moving towards secret confide wicker, which I, who I met at South by or Snapchat. And of course those don't sound too compliant. Uh, no, not compliant at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. And so in fact, I, um, part of going to South by is to keep up probably as you do with what is late and breaking, uh, including, you know, Meerkat and, and Periscope, which I've been experimenting with quite a bit. Um, for now, the banks or the ones in the regulated industries, the platforms that tend to be approved for use and that when I say middleware, meaning there are software providers that can capture, archive, help you moderate posts from Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter, and in some cases, Google+. Um, so they tend to be the the three or four. It's really pretty much LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Mm -hmm. Those are the platforms that banks or regulated industries, you know, and asset managers, wealth managers are using. And there are software providers mm -hmm. that provide very robust capability mm -hmm. to be able to capture and keep you compliant. Mm -hmm. All right. So um, and not and Snapchat. No, that's no, not of course, make the list. Was... not today. <laughs> no, but believe me. It, Snapchat does come up in a lot of the conversations. What do I do with Snapchat? The answer is you don't. Exactly. And I think you can add that to your employee handbook. That's right. I mean, because the end of the day, confide or or there isn't an element of confidentiality in all this stuff. So I don't want to. I don't want the tax authorities to know that I I have a gazillion dollars in Luxembourg. And so there is a, a massive temptation to want to have off the record conversations. So that's sort of where that. That's, we don't need to go any further on that little sort of uh, rabbit hole. Well, but, but, but I'll do, I will say that if you connect with, say, your bank or your institution has an approved Twitter or Facebook, and if somebody does start to complain or have an issue, it's always recommended you acknowledge the issue when it's been posted, and then you ask to take it offline, meaning you don't want to have a back and right. forth uh, out loud yeah. issue. And then again, the privacy comes, whether it's it's complaining or otherwise, mm. you, you definitely want to move it offline. But but that's how that's usually the best practice of how that gets handled. Totally. All right. So in banking, there are many different aspects and and most of us operate thinking, you know, with my banker as an individual. In banking, there is, of course, this whole B2B world. And so you're dealing with institutions, you're dealing with uh, businesses. So I was wondering how you might, what kinds of examples you see of good uh, examples of, of banks dealing with other businesses in their use of social media. And I suppose they're in a broader sense, including blogging and so on. Well, for instance, th this is, uh, it's funny, I just had a B2B conversation earlier this week. And where I usually start with that is I start with, Every business, there's an individual behind that business. So don't think of it as business to business. Think of it as person to person who's running that piece of the business. And I think if you take that mindset, I think it's, um, I'm probably going to get it wrong, but um, uh, I'll that, find his blog. That, anyway, but that, there's that, a gen Google. gentleman who writes about this. And you can it, give it to me afterwards. Yeah, human to human is is it might be Brian Kramer if not Brian, I'll give you a shout out. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, it is Brian, uh, Brian Kramer, yeah, CEO sure. of Pure Matter. But yeah, human to human, it's just look. The end. You're t it's an individual to an individual. So get to know the individual behind that business, mm -hmm. create a real connection, and then that's the best way I see business to business getting done is understanding what they're trying to do. And, and don't make it so devoid of that human element. 
I find that's been the most successful way to engage. Um, All right. So uh, then in another area, um, there's M&A. So this whole investment banking. And so you're in New York. I have many friends in IB. Where, what are the, can the, the signs that you give to investment bankers? Because, I mean, that talk about sort of discretion and, and news that can go, uh, go south. Where, how, do you, how do you help them? Oh, yeah, that one is, uh, that's still pretty much, I want to say shut down, but clearly. Um, still leather couches and big cigars. You would definitely not want to be, my point of view is, this is not where you want to be putting anything out there for the, in the public sphere. So, for instance, uh, a very good friend of mine that I used to work with at Credit Suisse was a, um, a supervisory analyst. And so part of her role was to look at, you know, what type of communications are out there and what are the, um, whether the traders or others are using as research. And there was a lot of big discussion about, well, could they use Twitter or not? And, and so they're recognizing there's a lot of information that could be available, but how can you do it in a way that really meets whatever the regulations or guidance that you're under? Mm. Um, there's a couple of, in, in fact, I don't have them yet, but I'm looking at a couple of new software providers who are taking big data for, you may have heard sentiment analysis sure. or listening. I'm sure you have. Um, but how do you take this, you know, we've heard the word, you know, the fire hose, the Twitter fire hose and make any sense of it. So there's a number of software providers that are really looking to very intelligently take data and see what could be done with it. Now, is the investment banking ready? And I don't, I don't have any current engagements there, but as I look at that, especially I was reading an article today um, with J.P. Morgan where, you know, there's sentiment analysis just listening to, you know, what traders are even going on the Internet to look at. And mm-hmm. uh, I can send you the link later. I think it was in Business Insider. Yeah, that's cool. Um, oh, yeah, but it's, it's a world of every click is captured and every website is known. So whatever we do online – is not is not private, um, so I think everybody wants to be very careful of how they're engaging and what they're doing. And in some ways, picking up the telephone and making a phone call um, is the most unregulated thing we do. Uh, yeah, unless for a phone record. Um, oh, well, so yeah, it's a it's a gentle space to walk in very carefully right now. Of course, the NSA has other ideas. Then, yeah. um, <laughs> so Joyce, you also, I mean, I know you, you're not limited to the financial sectors, and I was thinking, just as the last question. You know, if I'm in banking, where should I be looking to get inspiration to give me some better guidance? As opposed, if I just look at my colleagues and my peers, I mean, some of them are doing a good job. We, you know, you mentioned um, Citibank, and and also I don't remember who else you, you know, um, Morgan Stanley are doing some interesting things. But if you were to look outside, who might you call on, or what would you look at? What would you recommend? Well, thank you for the question because this is where I go into the uh, the outer sphere of my universe, because uh, exactly that, every day I find I need to do two things. I need to do something creative and something kind, and that's what fuels my soul. Mm. And it helps me do a better job with the individuals I work with at regulated banks. So, um, for instance, every day I read Seth Godin's blog, mm-hmm. 
I actually had the good fortune to spend a weekend with Seth and 80 other ruckus makers, mm -hmm. just coming up with new ideas for anything and everything in, in reinventing the world you're in today. So what does that have to do with banking? You know, we had a financial advisor who attended. You know, he knew the world he's in is not the world he was born into. It's not the world of getting in a car, getting on an elevator, sitting at a desk and logging on your computer. When you don't have to leave your home, you have everything you need in your hand. It's even that more powerful. So I get inspired by people who are thinking beyond today and tomorrow and pushing me to think in a broader, more untraditional way. Mm. But then taking those thoughts, you know, similar to what you do on your, your podcast, you know, you bring in people. What are you thinking about and how would you even bring that back? So um, I get inspired by, you know, farmers, people helping. Uh, you know, I work with a farmer in eastern Long Island. He's doing some incredible stuff with, mm. you know, organic uh, food. I have uh, somebody I, I work with in Australia who's designing toys for children who are limited uh, visually. Um, and I, I keep coming back to everybody, no matter what you do, no matter what your, your day job is, think about what motivate what, what are you passionate about and find a way to bring that uh, into your work. And maybe you start a blog, maybe you do not-for-profit work, maybe you just volunteer, um, or you're just kind to someone. Um, bring that back because all these large institutions, especially banking, need to reinvent themselves because they – my concern is they they will not survive if they do not reinvent themselves. And to survive and thrive, they need to embrace all of us because we are all as powerful as the whatever the made the BBC or whatever your major network is for communication. Mm, being, um, being kind, so, and being kind and creative in banking, I think is a well creative in a good sense. <laughs> It, yes, in a uh, right sense that keeps you uh, right, keeps you out of jail. Yeah. All right, but I, that's a wonderful way to finish. Uh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. So, um, listen, how can anyone follow you? Uh, read more about what you're up to. Well, I would love everyone to follow me on Twitter. Mm -hmm. My it's Joyce M. Like uh, Mary's money, Mary money. You could say we're having a banking conversation. Joyce M. Sullivan. Mm -hmm. Um, also, uh, if you want to know more about my business, it's, uh, SOC media, F I N social media, fin, and, and, and mentor, if you share the link on the podcast, that would be wonderful. And just say hello to me. I'm for me. Twitter is about meeting incredible people from all over the world. I have met the most interesting people who I just said hello to online and now are some of my best friends. Hmm. Uh, I'll close with, um, three years ago, I, uh, I had a panel at South by Southwest and I spoke, I, I curated it from people around the world on Twitter and we talked online for a year. We met in person and we were best friends and we're still best friends today. So actually the background of my store, if I, uh, is a little sketch artist, um, uh, wrote and uh, sketch about what we talked on. Um, so please say hi to me on Twitter. I love it. And, and if you're sitting in the front row in an event, please turn to the person to your left and to your right and say hello because you never know where it will lead you. And it's led me to, to all of you today. So thank you, Mentor. Super choice. Thanks a lot. Have a lovely day and stay in touch on Meerkat Snapchat or wherever we may go. You, you bet. We will. Thanks. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com. That's mindset with a Y. 
where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it in iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray. of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. 
The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. 